This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Territory Story Podcast, uh, which I must say is uh, growing in reputation daily since uh, we got the XPM on the podcast, right, Pete? (laughs) Is it a good (laughs) reputation or a bad one? Oh, mate, look, I even saw AJ going off on LinkedIn with you just now. Uh, Uh, There we go. So he's a big fan. Well, he probably heard me say that somebody else was the number one ticket holder, so he wanted to get back into <laughs> top spot. Right, right. No, it right. is good. It is good. It's uh, yeah. There's been some nice feedback, which is great. But um, yeah, I guess it's it's been consistent throughout, hasn't it? From day one, day one when we heard about Leon's trip from Perth in the car up to Darwin, it uh, it's taken off. I don't know about day one, but uh, I do know that uh, probably the. The grandest accolade so far was getting a, a message from an ABC journalist who will, be, who will remain unnamed. Uh, I'll leave us, Kerry O'Brien out of this. <laughs> telling us that they love the podcast. So, you know, no, it doesn't get much nice. better than that, mate. Yep. Well, it depends on your um, way of looking at the ABC. But I'm so glad you bring that up because I just was going to say now i know the first thing you'll say to me is oh you've dated the podcast again but i actually don't care (laughs) i'm gonna date it and i'm gonna date it quite happily because i i I had an epiphany today Hmm. and the epiphany was um (laughs) thanks to the uh presidential debate Mm -hmm. which was resoundly described as a shit show by all and sundry. So I'm, I'm not using foul language just for the purpose of it, but across mm. the board, that's how it was described. The best thing happened to me today. About 10 years ago, I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and it changed my life. I've said that before, and I'm sure I've said it here. Um, one of the things that he advocates is don't ever read or watch the news. It's a great waste of time. It's biased. It'll just bring you down. And anything that you need to hear in life, you're going to hear about anyway. You don't need to switch on the six o'clock news or pick up a newspaper. And I kind of took that a bit to heart. Um, But I will say that in recent times with different things happening, I've sort of lapsed a bit, probably since the COVID era, but also with these, uh, you know, presidential elections in the US, mate, three minutes of that debate today and I was cured for life. I, I honestly, I was literally dumbfounded at what I was watching and then I was even more dumbfounded at the utter crap both CNN and Sky News, both with their angles, were speaking. And I switched on to the ABC and I thought, wow, they sound the most level-headed of anybody today, but that is it. I'm done. I'm done with news. I'm done with watching this sort of crap and wasting time. So that's my takeaway. And did you say that uh, he, he said don't read? Did, it, is that what I, did I hear you no, correctly? No, no, he didn't say don't read. He said don't read the news or watch the news. So whether it's a newspaper or TV, he said just don't waste your time. It's, it's almost carcinogenic. Mm, interesting. See, I can't do that, mate. No, uh, but you, <laughs> in fairness, you read the paid stuff and you read the, 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 you read the unbiased stuff. And uh, unless you're prepared to go to those depths, then um, you, you're just not going to get anything out of this free-to-air crap. 
<laughs> right, right. Well, mate, um, yeah, there's a lot to learn. Anyway, on the subject of learning a lot, um, we ought to now take uh, this time to introduce our two guests. What did you do at this time, Pete? I always introduce the guests. You know, you know them just as much as I do. Be my pleasure, Leon. Thank you for that. Uh, well, one of them's a return uh, podcaster with us, uh, Mr. Nathan Lee, who's on, been on before and told us about his story. And joining him and us tonight is Sam Russos. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank Thanks you very much us. for having us. So it's normally at this point that we ask you to tell us your story, but of course we, we do know Nathan's story because we've heard that before. So we, we, we might start with you, Sam, if, if that's not uh, too much to ask. What, what's your story to, to the Territory? Like where, where were you born? And uh, we know where you are now, but tell us your story to date. Well, I think I've got a pretty classic Territory story. I'm born and bred Territorian, born in Darwin, grown up in Darwin my entire life. I'm the child of Greek grandparents who immigrated to Australia about the 1950s. And ever since then, my father was born in Darwin. So I've got a real territory story. Mm. So, but I think that really for me and Nathan, it's quite similar for both of us, both born and bred Territorians, both went through high school together, both ended up at the same university together. And I think it's a very classic and typical territory story for the both of us. Let's, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, so you both, I, I realise, have got quite famous fathers. Now, uh, can, can, you, can you talk about your fathers for a few minutes, uh, starting with you, Sam? Well, my father is George Rusos, the lawyer, as many know him by, but I think I've got it good in the fact that many people don't realise I'm his son just based on appearance. <laughs> now, 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 nothing against my, my father's looks, but I just want to take this opportunity to really point out the fact that my sister really hates the fact that people always know that she is George Russo's daughter just from her appearance. Now, a top tip to anyone listening is to never tell a daughter that they look like their father because that is how you can ruin their day yeah. um, straight away. But no, besides the last name, I've been told I have my mother's looks. Right. No, I, yeah. Because I was looking at your, your spectacular head of hair there uh, and I thought Co- to COVID myself... COVID hair, we must say. Uh, and I thought yeah. to myself, gosh... Uh, if you've got your dad's genes, you need to enjoy that while you can. <laughs> I can, I can, I can proudly say that these are my mother's curls. So really, I, I really don't know what I would do if I went bold. So I'm, I'm quite. I, I think I really got lucky in the genetic gene pool. So great, great success right. there. Right. So, so Sam, uh, you you might not know this, but I have known your father for thirty years. Uh, And that is not even an exaggeration. Your father was my tutor at university for my very first tutorial, my very first contact hour, in fact. It was Introduction to Law, 1990, which was then called Northern Territory University. And your dad, who was working at Cridlands at at that time, I'm not sure whether he was a partner or not at that stage. He may very well have been, but he was my tutor. Wow. 
So that is a piece of history. Really. Yeah. Wow. I know people always surprise me with just the depths of their like friendship and knowledge of my dad. And I just think every time I talk to someone, I'm like, he's never told me this. I never knew that he was a tutor at the Northern Territory University, but now I do. So he'll be getting a, a strongly worded email from me regarding <laughs> his lack of knowledge that he's given me. Well, you see, I, um, my, my short-term memory is shot, right? If you ask me what I did yesterday, I couldn't tell you. But for some reason, my long-term memory is just incredibly sharp. And um, I remember that tutorial like it was yesterday because in that class was a member of the Legislative Assembly for the Northern Territory, um, Mr Neil Bell, uh, who was the member for Barclay. Um, mm. And he was a politician uh, with the Labor Party in opposition but he was also doing a law degree. And so your dad was tutoring all of us, including Neil. And the first order of business was to look at an act of parliament. And we had to go through that act and, and identify what was the long title and what was the preamble to the act. And to this day, and I keep telling you every time I mention this to your dad, <laughs> he has a good laugh, but your dad and Neil Bell were having a bit of an argument as to what was a long title and what was the <laughs> preamble to the act. <laughs> so that is my first memory of your father. So there you go. Mm. But I, think, I think that is quite evocative of the Territory story, that everyone in the Territory is somehow connected to each other. And I think that's probably the best way to describe and characterise the Territory, just the interconnectivity of all the relationships. Yes, and your dad, can I just say, uh, on this podcast, uh, because I, I do uh, believe this, he, the dad is a very good man, uh, a, a good person to know, I have caught up with him uh, many times, uh, generally at, uh, at um, functions organised by somebody else who's going to be in his podcast shortly, Mr Glenn Grantham. <laughs> and, and the other thing that I wanted to say about your dad, uh, and it just escapes me for a minute, I just had it on the back of my, uh, on the tip of my tongue actually. I'll, I'll come back to you on that one. But um, Nathan, your dad is also fairly famous. What's he famous for? Oh, my dad is Jason Lee, and he's probably best known for probably Happy Gardens, which Happy is a Gardens. funny segue. My grandpa started about oh, 38 years ago, I think it is, if I can remember it correctly. So, yeah, my family's been around here for a while. Yeah, what, where were they from originally? Um, so originally my um, parents, my grandparents were born in East Timor. So oh. then due to civil war there, they travelled to Indonesia for, they lived there for about one year. Then they flew. They got flown to Portugal. They lived there for about five years, and then they came to Darwin. Wow! Right. Indonesia it's, to Portugal. How did that happen? Um, it got set up by um a priest actually because a bunch of refugees were being flown to Portugal because um at that time East Timor was a Portuguese colony. Right. So they went to Portugal and they lived there. Wow. Yeah. And Happy Garden. Fantastic establishment, let me <laughs> Thank say. You. Happy in eating fact, and happy garden. In fact, Nathan, uh, you'll be pleased to know that uh, we celebrated our graduation dinner with the family, uh, extended family, at Happy Garden back <laughs> in probably 1994, I'm going to say. 
<laughs> and and neither of you will know this, but Leon associates all happy moments in his life based on what he was eating at the time. So <laughs> he's not yes. likely to have forgotten that one. Oh, especially not. No, Happy Garden makes the best lemon chicken in Darwin, let me say. <laughs> yeah, I think you mentioned that last time I was on the podcast. <laughs> That's the short-term memory. <laughs> That's exactly right, Pete. You nailed it. So you guys have been friends, what, since kindergarten or mm. right? So I, the story for me and Nathan starts in year 10, actually. So in year 10, there's a mandatory class that all students must undertake. It's called the Personal Learning Program, PLP for short. And essentially what it is, it's a class where you are meant to set goals for your future and sort of develop an understanding for what you want to do in your tertiary education. So naturally, it's a bludge class and a slack off mm. for most year 10 students who have no care in the world about what they're going to do <laughs> post year 12. So at the same time, there was a big wave going through Darwin High where students were playing a game called the ASX share market game. So basically what it is, it's set up by the ASX. They give you $50,000 of fake money. You invest it and you try to see how much you can make. Now for the students who just finished watching The Wolf of Wall Street, they all thought they were going to be <laughs> multimillionaires and mm. could really top the charts in this game. Nathan and I just happened to be in the same class, the PLP. And I was playing the game on one side of the room. And over a couple of weeks, he would notice me playing it. Now, two young boys that have a financial interest will gravitate to each other eventually. And I remember this distinct moment that he came up to me. He did not say his name, did not say anything about him, just said, is that the share markets? That is my first ever impression of Nathan. <laughs> is that the share market? And from there, we disobeyed the teacher's you know, begging of us to focus and do our work and we just spend the entire class talking stocks in the most rudimentary fashion. But eventually, we actually came up with Northern Online Retail and that was the idea that he talked about on the last podcast. Mm. So we had been discussing that as friends since year 10. So basically, we really grew that love and passion for social impact and having a positive impact on our NT community through the end. It was something that I think Nathan will probably agree with, has resonated for the both of us even till today. And the funny thing was, when we were going to university, we, we did not discuss between each other where we were going to go. We both knew we wanted to do commerce, maybe even law. And I remember we came together and we said, all right, I think I know where I'm going. He said he knew where he was going. And I said, all right, let's say it together. And we both said Melbourne Uni. And I thought that was probably the funniest <laughs> thing that we both decided to go to yeah. Melbourne Uni. And here we are, four years later, just about now, living in, well, not anymore thanks to COVID, but we were um, together at Melbourne Uni, still talking every single day and probably yeah. one of my best friends. Okay, now stop for one second. Just backtrack. What was your top stock pick in the stock market game? So I went always for Bellamy's because Bellamy's mm. never let me down. But I remember I lost one year and I lost to a kid who chose A2 Milk. Now, the only reason he chose A2 Milk was because under the company lists, A2 Milk was the first one to be listed because yeah. A2. Yeah, yeah. His second reasoning was, well, everyone naturally buys milk. And that was the year that that stock exploded. Oh, it nice. was about 80% in a period of about two months. And yeah. he absolutely thrashed us all. And I was quite distraught in year 10 following <laughs> that thing, given my extensive research into stocks that I had yeah, undertaken. Yeah. That yeah. was devastating. <laughs> yeah. And Bellamy's, of course, had a, a, had a famous run at one stage as well. 
They did. They've had, they had many big runs until they eventually got bought out as mm. well. So yeah, great stock. Love them. Always great returns for me. Yeah. So so what year was this? Uh, year ten? You were what, year four years ago? So that was twenty seventeen. Yeah. Twenty seventeen. Mm. So we we graduated year twelve last year and a first year uni now. So everything seems to go in twenty year cycles, Pete. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Because in nineteen eighty seven, I was at university. Oh, yeah. Right. I know what you're about to say. Wall Street yeah. was the movie. Yep. And everybody wanted to be Gordon Gecko. Correct. Yep. Right. And the, and and the so, most monumental crash we had until, <laughs> until GFC occurred. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's interesting that you guys are, you know, going through the same thing. So, so what motivates you guys? Tell, tell, tell me, Nathan, what, what motivates you? Well, growing up in the NT, we're a very tight-knit community. And because the NT has given us so many opportunities, like coming into this podcast, for example, I fundamentally believe that growing up in like Darwin has been one of the best things. Like it's one of the best places to grow up. So throughout this time, I've always wanted to give back to the community, whether that be volunteering, whether that be trying to create a business like Northern Online Retail. And even now, by trying to, by trying to bring Swap Cop to, the, to Darwin, I really believe that I just want to give back to the community because they've really given us, like Sam can definitely agree with this, they've given us so much. Like They've helped us grow as a person and we really are the person we are today because of what Darwin has given us. So mm. what is SwapCup? Okay, so SwapCup um, is a social enterprise aimed to combat the one billion coffee cups thrown away every year by Australians. Really? One billion? Yep, yes, one it's one billion. Now, I just, I just want to ask a quick question for you both. Yep. When you drink a coffee, what do you do with your coffee cup? Do you put it in the yellow bin, in the, you know, the generic bin? What do you do with it? Does it fall under your car, never to be seen for six months? What's the trajectory for it? So Leon's not going to be able to answer that question. Uh, I will step in and uh, sh- shade him from that one because uh, he doesn't drink coffee, um, but I do. And it's, it's a really good question. Because um, a variety of things would be the answer, Sam. But um, now we we should probably get into this as well because I think it's relevant. But something that that I learned in Darwin that I must admit I was pretty disappointed with was the fact that while we all have our yellow bins and our black bins, or I think there's some green ones and different ones now as well. Um, the, the, the rumour has it that irrespective of what colour it is, it all ends up in the same hole in the ground anyway. Um, I, I must admit I'm a lot bigger on recycling than my wife is, but, um, yeah, we, we uh, would generally put them straight in the bin. Well, I think, it's, I think I'll take this moment to add some context to it, specifically for me and Nathan. So basically when we went to university, we went there with the intention to be as involved as we could. And there's a large variety of clubs at yeah. Melbourne Uni. But we didn't want to stray towards the typical commerce path of like investment banking or consulting. We wanted to do something that had a bit more of a social impact because that resonated far more with us coming from the territory. Now, I remember we stumbled upon this club called Enactus. Now, Enactus is this global organization. They're in 37 countries from universities in the US to South Korea. And essentially what Enactus aims to do is they aim to create in their individual university clubs on many university campuses across Australia, 
is create sustainable businesses that address one of the UN's SDGs. Now, the SDGs are the Sustainable Development Goals, and there are 17 of them. They were created in 2015, agreed upon by all the nations, and the intention of them is to eradicate poverty, inequality, and ensure overall prosperity for the world by 2030. But we found that, and I remember Nathan came to me, and he DM'd me on message and he said to me, Sam, I found the best club we have to join. And I remember I inquired the next day with them and they told us about this program called Swap Cup. Now Swap Cup, when I was reading about it, the first line that they had in it, all their marketing was Australians throw away 1 billion coffee cups every single year. Now I looked at that and I said, that can't be true. That's an incredible (laughs) amount of coffee cups. Because like many Australians, I'm under the assumption that when I drink my coffee in a paper cup, it can be put into the yellow bin and recycled. But it's a very yes and no question. And I'll tell you why. There's a really big misconception around coffee cups and recycling as a whole. So when you look at a coffee cup, it's paper. We all know that. But what you don't know is that inside it, it's got a very thin layer of polyethylene. Now that's a very common plastic. You find it in most milk cartons, etc. But what the misconception is, is that you actually can't recycle these cups as a whole. So the individual components, the paper and the plastic, they can be recycled. But the problem is that most facilities don't actually have the capacity to separate the materials or recycle them. So the problem that you will find is that a lot of people will be told by whether it's councils or whether it's governments or even environmental groups that you can recycle these disposable cups. And that's true to an extent. But the real story and what's hidden behind the curtain is that as soon as you chuck that cup into the recycling bin, what happens is it contaminates all the other trash. So you are having a scenario where not only are those cups being sent to landfill because quite frankly, the facilities just do not have the ability to process them. It's not economically viable to do that, Mm. but they're actually contaminating every other piece of recycling that would have been recycled. So you should never actually put a disposable cup in the bin. For example, the Northern Territory Council doesn't recycle disposable cups. So they will actively tell you to chuck your coffee cup into the bin. And that's, yeah, I think when I read that, that was probably one of the most haunting things I had read. I went down a hole one Friday night and everything I thought about recycling had been a lie. But the repercussions from putting one simple coffee cup that you think is recyclable into the bin is having these vast repercussions manifesting in the form of 1 billion disposable coffee cups being sent to landfill every single year just by Australians. And what you're ultimately saying is that my wife's laziness has actually proven to be a real uh, bonus for the environment. I love it. (laughs) Well, I think, and you can even, there's a really interesting point about that, about the idea of convenience. So basically at SwapCup, we found this issue. We found that, all right, clearly there's a big issue that we need to address because if we're not going to address this, no one will. And really you have two choices when you're looking at an issue like this. The first one is, okay, we can develop the infrastructure to tackle things like recycling disposable cups. But there's two inherent faults with that. The first one is, well, if it was that easy and it was that economically viable, I'm pretty sure that most councils and most governments would have already implemented that. Mm. But even if we accept the fact that it's living in a hypothetical world where we have unlimited money, even if you were to build these facilities, is it something that we want to build? Because when you think about it, as soon as we build it, we have an excuse to continue u- using yeah. single-use plastics. True. Now, another interesting fact is that when you use a disposable cup, the number of, and the amount of emissions that has been created by that cup from its creation to its transport to your coffee shop is about 110 grams per coffee cup. 
Now that seems like a minor amount, but when you times it by a billion yeah. and then by 200 billion to the global mm. standards, that's an irrefutable amount of CO2 being emitted. And then when you again think about the fact that polyethylene releases methane at landfill, which is 21 more times, 21 times more potent than CO2, you really think, what are we doing mm. in this scenario? So I think that obvious antidote that most people think is, well, and what we thought was, why don't we start a keep cup service? Mm. That's the most you know, convenient solution. It's not, not hard to think that I can just clean a keep cup. Well, you would be quite wrong to make that assumption that lots of people don't clean their keep cups. Because what we did was at Swap Cup in its earliest iteration was we actually ran a keep cup service. So all it was, was we sold keep cups at the University of Melbourne. We sold them to students. We sold quite a few of them as well, students, professors, and everyone else. But what we did was we said to the baristas on campus, it's about five to six cafes, can you keep track of how many times you roughly see per day these keep cups? Because we want to measure our impact. We want to actually see, are we having a tangible effect on the environment? And the most surprising thing ever was they said to us, after the first week, I rarely saw one of these keep cups ever again. And we think about it. I'm pretty sure it's a narrative most people can relate to the fact that you buy a keep cup, you probably spend a good 20 to $50 getting a nice one that's thermally insulated and all the, all the bells and whistles. You use it for a week and then eventually you forget to clean it once. And as you're rushing to try and perhaps beat the yes. Russian Baggot Road or Tiger Brennan, you yes. abandon it on your kitchen bench only to be exiled to the deep, deepest, darkest depths of the kitchen cupboard. I think that's the most common narrative that we can all relate to. Absolutely. And I think the other thing is that... Um, there's a natural assumption that once you've bought it, you've saved the environment, so you've done your bit. And therefore, uh, getting the, going back to the cardboard cups after that doesn't seem as bad. You've got that. You've earned that instant gratification and validation <laughs> for having bought the keep cup, and yeah. exactly, you never see them again. But uh, even for those that do continue them, we found that baristas were being given dirty keep cups daily. So we found that people wouldn't clean them and they would still bring them to a barista. But the problem is, if you get sick, from a barista failing to clean your keep yeah. cup, they can share the liability for that. Now, that's just a risk that a cafe probably can't take on. And when you're dealing with an 8 a.m. morning rush and you've got people lined through the door, you sometimes have no option but to give it a quick little clean. But that's an inconvenience and a burden I don't think a barista should have to have. Yeah, yeah, really true, really true. And um, look, the, the, the whole concept of the keep cup has been around for a while and it's a great idea that the spirit behind it's brilliant but the the double handling and the triple handling is uh is obviously the the, the barrier to entry for a lot of people people so nathan, want to be environmental oh, please continue i was going to ask so nathan what uh what was the solution to all of this yeah so we thought there has to be a better way and we set out to find one so obviously the world we live in convenience is paramount so basically, how SwapCup works, there's four main steps. So cafes are onboarded onto our service, and we give them a set of our very own reusable cups that we call Swap Cups. They are standardized 350 milliliter keep cups, and you can go to our Instagram or Facebook page to take a look at them. They are pretty nice, I must say. From there, it's a four-stage circular process. Firstly, customers download our app from either the App Store or the Google Play Store. It is completely free to download. And using our app, customers will be able to find their local swap cup cafe using our map function. Once they find their closest swap cup cafe, they secondly use the app to scan a QR code on the front counter of the cafe when they order their coffee. 
We provide cafes with the QR code and it is about the size of an A4 piece of paper. By scanning the QR code, we know that that person has checked out a swap cup from that cafe and the barista will give them their coffee in, a ver in their very own swap cup. Thirdly, the customer can then enjoy their coffee in their own swap cup. They can drink it as they would any other coffee. But this time, they have the added benefit of knowing they're having a positive impact on the environment. And the fourth and final step is when the customer is done with their coffee, they can drop it off to any swap cup cafe or swap it for a clean one next time they order their coffee. That's probably one of the most amazing things about our service. You don't have to return your swap cup to the same cafe. It can be any cafe that operates our program. Cafes will then clean the cups to an industry standard in their downtime, ready for the next person, and the swap cup cycle repeats. Mm. Mm. Ingenious. It's, it started in Melbourne. So yep. are we in the Northern Territory now? So as of right now, we are currently gathering expressions of interest in the Territory because last year we ran our pilot program with the four cafes on the Melbourne Uni campus. We had about 1,000 people sign up in a few weeks. Wow. And at the beginning of this year, we started rolling it out in Greater Melbourne and Queensland. And I came back to the Northern Territory because of COVID. And I thought this would be perfect for the Northern Territory because culturally it aligns with our values, like Territorians are known for being very environmentally conscious. For example, like our, how we're dealing with fracking at the moment. And it's been something that's in, been instilled with us throughout our whole life here. Like we've always had this environmentally friendly nature throughout our whole life. Like everyone in the territory has it. But more importantly, we wanted to help and give back to the community that has given us so much. So like we can really appreciate it. But whenever you want to expand somewhere, you need to collect data. So that's why we are gathering expressions of interest in Darwin. And we're going to cafes, finding out what they think of our service, whether they'd be interested. And right now, there actually has been a fair bit of interest. So if you're a cafe owner or if you know someone who is and you're interested and we haven't reached out to you already, then you can go to our website, which is www.swapcup.org and you can get into contact with us or you can message us on our social media. We have Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram. Mm. And so what's the cost of this then? Like how much does a cup cost and all that? So we have a unit price per cup of about $3. Now, one of the guiding principles that we have found with Swap Cup is that we want to make it as accessible to people as possible. I think we understand the idea that if you have a platform that's going to be very expensive, people just aren't going to engage it. That's why our platform is actually free for customers to use. So as a coffee lover, you will never actually pay to use our program. What we do is we charge a small fee for every coffee sold in a swap cup to cafes. And then what we use with that money is we are a social enterprise. So we have 24 members in our team. Now, these are they all hail from either Melbourne Uni or Griffith Uni, which is our partner in Queensland. They're all volunteers. We never see a cent of it. We reinvest it straight into the business, whether it is marketing efforts, expansion, or perhaps marketing on our social media. But that is how we cover the costs of our business and it's simultaneously able to expand even further. Mm. Mm. Does this end up um, being part of a PhD or something down the track? Is this, a, is this future proofing uh, some study you might need to do in the future? Uh, who knows? At this point in time, I'm just really keen to see this 
really blossom and become something amazing. So I, I know it can. From the pilot program that we ran last year at the University of Melbourne, the uptake was unbelievable. People were really getting behind the idea of being able to drink from one cafe but not have to carry the burden of cleaning that cup, but being able to drop it off at any other swap cup cafe. I think that was what really drew people to the service, that convenience of it all. I completely agree. As a coffee drinker, um, you know, uh, the, as I said before, the keep cup um, concept has been around for a while, but I'll be, I'll be also honest with you and say that, you know, the cost of coffee has been escalating for a few years and a, a decent cup of coffee these days, you know, it's it's no longer one or two dollars unless you get a special from uh, Macca's on their app. So you know, the added burden of of buying a keep cup, um, you know, it it, it so even on a one off basis, it seemed quite expensive. But the the addition of drop it off at any supporting cafe is is a brilliant a brilliant add on that uh, I think takes off the table one the extra impost for buying the cup but also as you said it's the convenience of keep, uh, inconvenience of keeping it clean and you know having to have it ready for for the next time you want to have a coffee i think even more so from that when we look at swap cup we wanted it to be a bit more than just simply a service so yes we offer keep cups we offer that convenient alternative but we wanted swap cup to be a bit more as a brand and i think we when we looked at it and we really sat back we thought what did we want swap cup to mean to people and we sort of came up with these three ideas i remember we had a big brainstorming session about it on our big zoom calls that we do um and we one of the main i sort of drivers behind swap cup is we really love the idea of empowering youth to really engage with these issues. We think it's really important that youth are engaging with ideas, whether it's segregated to climate change or pollution or any other political idea. We really think it's important that people get involved in these ideas. And that was probably one of the driving forces behind wanting to start a program like this, is that it's something that everyone can rally around, that whenever you use a swap cup, you are actively being a part of the revolution of changing our attitudes and changing our behaviors and having that really positive impact. And one of the really special things about the app is you can even download it now, even if we don't have the service in Darwin yet or not near you, you can download it and you can actually track our impact. So you can track how many cups we've saved from landfill. You can track how much carbon offset we've actually created. And you can really be a part of that. And I think the community that we breed is really important. And a call out to any high school or university students in Darwin, or for that matter of fact, anyway, if you would love to get involved in the program, we're more than happy for you to join our team. Because I think that when you look at our team, it's really funny because we have kids that do commerce like myself and Nathan, but we even have kids that do medicine. We've got engineering students. We've got software engineers because everything we do is in-house. The app Mm. was designed in-house. Marketing is in-house. But when you have all these kids from a diverse background, you know that you're on something really pure when we're all drawn together just from that sheer passion to have that positive Mm. impact. Mm. It, what you just described with uh, even if it's not in the, the town where you are uh, reminds me of my of my bank app whenever I'm in Darwin it tells me that the closest branch is 4,328 kilometres away mm-hmm. so uh, <laughs> I can see but I think the the um, Leon can attest to that and did, when when Sam just mentioned then about looking at the carbon offset. Did that remind you of something? Certainly did, mate. Yeah, the app that you're constantly looking at, which is uh, solar power units do the same thing. You you download an app onto your phone and it'll tell you how much 
your uh, system has made for the day, but it'll also tell you how much uh, you've saved the universe from, uh, you know, carbon offsets or how much carbon isn't going into the atmosphere. I think that's so powerful though, because I think as businesses, we need to really adapt and acknowledge the fact that when we're looking at things such as sustainability, where it's very easy to think that your individual actions won't have that impact, it's really important that we demonstrate that even the most minute task is simply remembering to bring your own keep cup or use a service like Swap Cup. It is contributing to the bigger picture. And I think that that really, really speaks to the role of social enterprise going into the future. But what does social enterprise look like in the next five to 10 years? And what can we do to make it more accessible to people And one of the best ways we can do that is having those metrics of quantifying your impact because they're going to be extremely powerful in making people feel like their actions are having a tangible impact. Mm. So where to from here, Nathan? Well, the second idea that we we really wanted SwapCop to incorporate is the power of social enterprise in addressing key issues. In spaces where we see perhaps a lack of initiative, social enterprises play a really important role in filling those gaps of innovation. We see some amazing work done by social enterprises already and when backed by funds, whether it is impact investing or grants, they can do amazing things. Like You can just look at the impact of the kind of shake here in Darwin, like community-led mm. initiative that supports those who are affected by COVID-19, especially international students, by providing weekly free meals. Like There's just so much social enterprises can do and they can contribute to the community greatly. And that's where we really want to take SwapCup. We want to keep expanding our service so it's accessible for everyone in Australia. Everyone will be able to use SwapCop, and that's really really where we want to go. We just want to have our impact as far-reaching as possible and just help so many people. Brilliant. Well, I, I just need to ask you one question about this. Um, so, you know, 1987 Wall Street comes out. <laughs> Everybody goes, I want to be Gordon Gecko, and greed is good. Yeah. Right. And I want so that you big guys phone, twenty big years ago. <laughs> yeah. So twenty years later, you guys are watching Wolf of Wall Street, but you're doing the complete opposite. How does that work? I don't understand that. I think one of the biggest things for me, I, I feel like this is the same for Nathan too, was just the sheer disillusionment I felt towards the system that I found. I think that was enough for me to shift my complete perspective of the way I viewed things. And I think that was the last pillar of basically how we look at SwapCup is we wanted it to be an educational platform that really does what it did for me in terms of changing perceptions. Like I think the best idea that I have is besides the sort of, um, you know, intricacies around recycling disposable cups, it goes much deeper than that. I think the really interesting thing that I found was, you know, the triangular arrows which is the most commonly associated recycling logo like you know that shit so that is called the um, resin identification code what that was that was developed in the um, 1980s in america implemented there adopted by australia in the 90s and what that is is it's actually not a symbol that you can recycle a product so just because a product has the three arrows and that triangular shape Mm. does not mean it can be recycled it's actually identifying the type of plastic now for someone like me I didn't actually know that until I read about it and learned about it through Swap Cup. So there's usually one to seven numbers on that scale. That's the most commonly seen ones in household products. Now, you can recycle most of them, but there's really um, difficult intricacies when you look at what certain councils will recycle. Like, for instance, a coffee cup is polyethylene, which is number two or number one, depending on the sort of manufacturing process it has undergone. 
that some councils, take the Northern Territory Council, won't recycle them. But some, especially in Melbourne, will. But the problem is if you want to recycle it, you have to drive about an hour out to a certain facility and drop them off there. And I think it was finding out the fact that this sort of greenwashing, now greenwashing is basically when you use ideas such as sustainability or brand your product as environmentally friendly to sell it more when it's probably not. And just how deep this goes is really interesting. Like the, I think the best fact was that resin code that I just talked about, the recycling symbol, that wasn't lobbied by some environmental group or anything like that. It was actually lobbied by the oil companies in America. When we think about it, right? Plastic is made primarily through petroleum oil. So they have a vested interest in keeping it around. Now, the best way to do that is that if they can convince us that we are recycling properly and that we are contributing to a better environment, then we're going to keep consuming these products. But I think that it's really important that we are being more than a brand. We're transcending the physical product and we're raising awareness behind this idea. And at the core of it all, all we have is 24 students who just care about the environment, care about their community. And we have two born and bred Territorian boys who just want to give back to a community that have given them so much. And whether that's simply raising awareness or whether that's implementing a program like SwapGov, I think that is something that me and Nathan are really passionate about. And it's what drives us to continue to do this idea and push it forward every single day. Mm. Gee, it gives me some uh, pleasant thoughts that um, we might actually be able to get this uh, environmental stuff under control, Leon. What do you think? Uh, I do. And I, I want you guys to, while you're down there learning lots about the commerce, to also, uh, when you're thinking about the Territory as fondly as you do, 30% of the Northern Territory is Indigenous. And, you know, we hear a lot about Indigenous disadvantage and the government seems to spend a lot of money um, trying to rectify that, uh, trying to, as they, as what do they call it, closing the gap. Um, as older Territorians uh, and as private citizens, I look at some of this stuff and I scratch my head and I don't know where it's going and I don't know where it's ending up. But, um, you know, you guys are very smart. You're obviously thinking about these things, but if you can figure out how to help deal with this problem, because I think this issue is much bigger for the Territory than it is for any other state of Australia, um, that would certainly go a long way to helping the Territory long-term, I believe. I think that raises a really interesting fundamental issue that when we analyse issues like that, there is a strong sense that it even translates to things like the environment to have a sense of almost paternalism around it. The idea that we will be able to fundamentally rectify an issue like that without consulting key stakeholders or groups. Like when we look at things like the environment, are we able to, how can we rectify an issue such as recycling if we aren't actively engaging with manufacturers? Or how can we even start to approach closing the gap if we aren't actively consulting with um, members of the Indigenous community? Like I the first thing that comes to mind is, for example, the Uluru Statement from the Heart, when how the Australian government was so quick to turn that down and discredit it. I think that it's taking steps of understanding and incorporating key stakeholders. That's the way that we are going to really approach these issues. And I'm proud of the youth because I feel like the youth of today are really taking that idea by the hands and they're running with it. And I think that when they're not, they're doing things like the school strike for climate change, which is really important in showing our fundamental... Uh, you know, dislike of some government policies, whether it's in our legislative bodies or even in the private sector with corporations. So I think that there's long 
there's a long road ahead of us for that. But I think the first step is definitely looking at key stakeholders and having that element of consultation. I think that's fundamental. And I think that's something that we are fundamentally just missing out on as of now. Hmm. Nathan, any thoughts on that? Well, I think it just needs to, I just think just people need to be educated because a lot of people, especially those who don't live in the Northern Territory, they don't know how, like, how, how large a proportion of the Northern Territory is actually Indigenous. So I think educating people, letting them know what the problem is, how it has come about, and probably just, I just think more people need to know about the issues, whether that's on like the Black Lives Matter, where people are constantly protesting, because right now, their voice is not being heard by the most important people in the country. Therefore, it needs to be active, it needs to be consistent because that's the only way that change is going to happen if they're heard because right now their voice is not being heard by the President of America or the Prime Minister of Australia. There just needs to be consistent and strong. Like this protesting, it's a good thing, I believe. Getting the message out there. Hmm. All right, well, look... uh I'm going to check with Pete because yesterday I closed the podcast off a little too early for his liking. But uh, I, I, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, who are the current businesses in Darwin that are involved in your keep in your um, swap cup? We want to keep that a surprise for Territorians. So we oh, won't discuss it. We want, to, we want to keep Territorians on the edge and guessing. But we're always looking for more. We, there is never a cap of how many we want. And if you... Yeah are a cafe, you know of cafes, or even if you aren't a cafe, if you just sell coffee on the side, please do get in contact with us because it's really an amazing initiative. And at the end of the day, we are here to support cafes as well. We are not looking to exploit anyone to make millions like a Jordan Belfort from the Wolf of Wall Street. We're (laughs) simply just two boys who want to have that positive impact and really just want to give back to a community that have given us so much. Based on what you described, the more the merrier. There'd be no limit, would there? Yeah, exactly. There's no limit. Yeah. More cafes, more accessibility for people, more places that you can drop off your swap yeah. cup. It's a win-win for everyone. Mm, I love it. All right, Pete, over to you, mate. Thanks for joining us, boys. Appreciate your time and um, it's good to be educated about what you're doing and great for the Territory and, and well done for uh, not forgetting your roots, so to speak. Thank you very much for having us. And if anyone wants to keep track of our impact, keep track of what we're doing, or even just learn about some more tips about sustainability or news, feel free to follow us on all our socials or get into contact with us. We're always happy to have a chat with anyone. And how did they do that? So they can do that from our Facebook, just type in SwapCup, or our Instagram at SwapCup.org, or go to our website, as Nathan said before, www.swapcup.org. You can find out all about our story, all about where we're currently located and track our impact. Well, you've done my job for me. Thank you. That was Samuel Roussos and Nathan Lee on the Territory Story Podcast. We'll catch you again next time. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.